Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. church family. Good morning. Great to see you today. Uh, very much looking forward to our study today. So we're going to be continuing in our discussion on this idea of wisdom for the family. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to turn your Bible there, we'll get to Ephesians 5 in just a minute. Hey guys, I don't have this front screen. If you could help me out back there, please. Thank you much. So have you ever taken a picture and thought that the picture was really good but then when you like zoom in, you see something that just kind of messes up the whole thing. You ever seen that? Like you, you just thought, and, and you can't go back and recreate that picture because maybe you're on vacation or something and you got this great scene out there and you take this picture, but then you see this person in the background being weird or something like that, right? Have you ever had that? Like just the, the great picture just destroyed by some problem. Well, last night I was outside walking around the parking lot and it was a beautiful evening. Uh, you know, the weather was great. I was outside and as well as the, the sun was setting and the, the way that the clouds were in the sky and the lights were showing off, it was just a magical expression there almost. And, you know, the church steeples in the background. I was having just a wonderful time in that moment of just reflecting on God's goodness and just his glory. And I was just really worshiping the Lord in that moment. But as I came around and I was doing some loops around the church, I came around and all of a sudden I look up and there's just these swarm of birds circling overhead. Of course, that means there's something dead, right? So then all of a sudden my mind goes to thinking about, all right, where's this dead thing? What is it? How bad is it going to stink, right? All of a sudden my picture that was this beautiful moment where I was really enjoying the goodness of the Lord, the whole moment was kind of ruined because something came in and just started to distort and destroy that picture. So I went from this moment of just goodness and glory to all of a sudden I'm reflecting on death and smelling rotting animals, right? Very quickly, this beautiful scene got destroyed and turned into something ugly. Well, if you're familiar with Ephesians 5 and the topic we're going to talk about today with marriage, that same thing has really happened. Ephesians 5, the, the, this part of the chapter, verse 22 through 33 is given to be this beautiful, glorious picture of what a healthy marriage is supposed to look like. That God designed marriage very intentionally. And we're going to see that even before he created the church, he created marriage because there's this interconnected relationship between marriage and how that works and who Christ is and how he cares for us as his people. So this idea goes way back in God's mind and his creation of marriage. And so he created marriage to be this beautiful thing, this thing that we just look at or are just in awe of. But in a similar way, that picture has been distorted and destroyed. Now, Ephesians 5, we don't come to that with just these open arms of just thrilling and excited to see what God has to say. Instead, we come with a lot of hurt. Because this good picture has been distorted to where now this text is actually used to bring a lot of disunity, a lot of division, a lot of control and manipulation and abuse. All of that can come out of the text of Ephesians 5. This beautiful picture has been distorted and destroyed. And so what are we supposed to do with that? And now today what we want to do is we don't want to run from that. Instead, we want to try to reclaim the beauty that's there. 
Because these words have been stolen. These words that are beautiful words. These roles and relationships that are glorious things have been distorted and our picture has been destroyed in our mind. And so we want to stand on God's word and say, okay, we're not going to go with a thread of culture. We're not going to go with the problems that we're having because of this. Instead, we want to go back and say, what is the beauty that we're supposed to find in this chapter? Okay. And so we're going to look at our text today, kind of these three key ideas. We're going to look at the ideal of marriage. Okay. What is the glorious picture that God has presented? And that's kind of also going to serve as our aim. If we're trying to do marriage God's way, what are we aiming at in marriage? That the problem is, is we also understand we don't live in an ideal world. We don't live in a world with sinless beings who unconditionally love one another. Instead, we live in a very broken world and we are very broken people. We're people who care more about self than others. And so what happens is now we experience the brokenness of marriage. That's a reality in our world. And it's that brokenness that's distorted the ideal. But we want to go back and look at it from the positive side first. What's the ideal? And then, but as we're talking about the ideal, it's going to stir things in your mind. You're going to have questions. You're going to have concerns. You're going to have the yeah, but type statements. I understand that. But hang with me because we're going to look at the ideal first, how it's supposed to look when it's healthy. And then we're going to look at how do we actually deal in the reality of brokenness? What do we do when marriage has been destroyed and that's not what we're experiencing? Then we're going to wrap up with this idea of what are some keys to marriage? What are the keys of if I want to move marriage more out of brokenness towards what God is aiming at, what are some keys that I need to really focus on as a husband or a wife? Okay? So again, I understand this, is, this can be a tough passage. It can be a lot of pain associated with this one. I've experienced a lot of pain personally with people I love in my life based on this chapter. So I understand that. But we don't want to run because of that. We want to embrace the beauty that is here. So let's pray together, and we're going to ask for God's blessing on our service, uh, and then we will jump into Ephesians chapter 5. Father, we thank you that you have given us a beautiful gift of marriage. There's nothing like it in the whole world, God. Two imperfect, sinful people coming together and striving to live as one under your authority. It's a wonderful, beautiful picture. But Father, this world has destroyed it. The enemy has been very good at destroying and, and changing these words and changing our understanding of it and taking this beautiful thing and turning it into something that is so painful. I pray, God, for those out there today who maybe have experienced pain from this text, I pray that you would help them to, through the guiding of the Holy Spirit in their heart, to be able to honestly hear your heart that's here. I pray for the husbands in this room that you would help us to understand more of what our calling is as husbands. Pray we would understand that role and take it more seriously. And I pray, God, that you would be glorified above all else in this service and that we would see your character on display. In your name we pray. Amen. So in Ephesians 5, we are going to talk to both the husbands and the wives, but we are going to focus much more on the husbands today. Because um, really, when you look at these verses, the focus is on the husbands. But in this text, we are seeing the relationship of the two. And so you have to kind of talk about both to really understand uh, even the heart of the one. But before we get into the end of Ephesians 5, I want to back us up and start out reading in um, just with an understanding of what Ephesians is doing. The first three chapters of Ephesians are telling the people who they are in Christ. Okay, This is who you are as a, as a believer in Christ. And this is how God is making you new. This is who you are. And in light of who you are, chapters four through six tell you how now are you supposed to live. 
that's always the order of this. This is who God has made you to be, and how do you now live in light of that? And so chapter 5, we're learning what does it mean in verse 15 and 16 where we start. This is what he says. See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So he's given us this picture here. How do you walk wisely in a broken world? Okay, very applicable question as we think about marriage. How do we walk wisely in marriage when we live in a world of broken marriages? How do we do that? So he goes on the next verses. Do not be drunk with wine and what's his dissipation or could say recklessness, chaos, but instead be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So he's kind of fleshing this idea out. How do we walk wisely? Well, we do that by being filled with the Spirit. Okay, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means I start to see these things fleshing out in my life. First thing we see, this idea of a lifestyle of praise. Someone who's who's demonstrating a fullness of the Spirit, they go throughout their day with praise on their lips. They are living their life um, just as as this, this, this singing and rejoicing and celebrating who God is. Secondly, they're giving thanks for all things. They're giving thanks for the good things in their life and the hard things in their life. They're living a life of gratitude. And the third thing, the third thing that characterizes someone who's full of the Spirit, it says they submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. That's what, that's what it looks like to be full of the Spirit, that we submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. So notice, before we get into the next part of Ephesians 5, this section here, all of us are being called to this. All of us, every one of us, men and women, are being called to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. What does that word submit means? It really means to yield myself to someone else. You guys recognize this sign? Coach Moody will tell you, teaching high schoolers how to drive. This is an important sign. I remember when I was learning to drive, this sign actually really scared me because when I was in driver's ed class, they said, now look, if you come up to a yield sign and you stop and you're not supposed to, you'll probably get rear-ended. But if you go when you're not supposed to, you'll probably get T-boned. So just make sure you do the right thing. Like That is so unclear. Just give me a stop. Give me a go. What does a yield mean, Right. Well, over time, with a lot of stress and sweating, I finally learned yield means you just kind of watch. And if there's someone else coming, then you stop. But if there's no one coming, you're free to go. So we think of this idea of submitting and we define it as this idea of I'm yielding myself to someone else. It says, I'm coming up to this crossroad and here comes someone else. I'm going to yield myself to them and let them go first. But what if I'm in a hurry? I'm an important guy. What if I have somewhere to be? I don't have time to wait on this person. I have to go. Well, I've lost the meaning of yield. I've lost what that means to yield myself to them. But, you know, that, that works. And when it comes to driving, we recognize all of us as Christians and non-Christians are actually called to yield in our life. We yield to our bosses. We yield to our teachers, our coaches, our uh, the government, police officers. We all yield constantly to people in our life. And we really don't have a lot of tension with that. But because of the distortion and brokenness of marriage, when we start to put this idea into how do husbands yield to wives and how do wives yield to husbands, it brings in a lot of tension. But what does it mean to really yield myself to someone else? It means that I put what is good for the other person above my own desires. Okay? What is good for the other person above my own desires. So this is really an attitude that we have. 
that whatever role I'm in in life, any role I find myself in, I'm called to have this attitude. Let me kind of illustrate that because this is important. So I'm a father, and as a parent, my job is to lead my children and to train them and to discipline them and to, and to, to lead them in the admonition of the Lord. But you know, sometimes my kids are wonderful beings, but sometimes they need training when I don't feel like training, right? They need to be taught when I just want to sit down and relax. My desire for that moment is rest, but what my child needs is intentional love and training in that moment. So as a parent, in that moment, I have a choice to yield myself and my desires for the good of my child. Even though I'm the parent, I am yielding to what is good for that child and putting my desires as secondary. That's one role I have in my life. Well, there could be another role. What if I decide tomorrow I'm going to come to your place of employment and I'm going to start working for you? So I come into your, your area and you tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do and then you leave the room. And I think, you know what? I don't really think that's good. I have a much better idea for how this should function. Instead of doing what they said, I'm going to do what I want to do because I certainly know after 30 minutes what is better and what is best. See, in that moment, my role that I have is as your employee. And so I am being called to yield myself to your role. You understand that? So both of those things, I'm having this same attitude of yielding myself to your good, but it looks very, very different. And so when it comes to marriage, both spouses are called to have this attitude of yielding, but both spouses also have very different roles within the marriage. And so what we see is that both of us have the attitude of yielding, but the different roles means the way I express that yielding is going to look very different. You with me on that? That's really important that we understand that, that we have different roles, but we have the same attitude. Both husbands and wives come with this choice and said, do I want to yield to what is good for the other above my own desires? But that's going to look very different based on the different roles that we have. So what are the roles that we have? And we've talked about this, uh, especially with ladies in the last few weeks. What is the primary role of a wife? Well, Genesis introduced that as the wife's primary role is helper. And again, we hear that term and it sounds kind of derogatory. It sounds kind of like I'm in second place or I'm just kind of sitting around waiting for somebody else to tell me what to do. But I want you to understand one of the people in scripture who's called a helper in Psalm 121 is the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And when you hear that phrase from Psalm 121 too, who made heaven and earth, does that sound like a weak being? No, that's an incredibly strong individual, but that strong individual is using his strength in the role of helper, that he is choosing to say, I am strong, and yet I'm yielding myself and my strength to you as a weak person over here who needs my help and my assistance. And so when God created Adam, and then he created Eve to be this helpmate, he created her with this very distinct set of skills and attributes, and they perfectly complemented one another. So the idea of helper is Eve is the ideal partner. She uses her strength to help Adam accomplish this great task and mission that God has given to them to build his kingdom here on this earth. Okay, so the role, primary role of wife is helper. And we studied that, so we're not going to go much more into it than just that. But Ephesians 5 is going to dive into what is the primary role of the husband. Okay, verse 23, we see this. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So here we see this idea that men, while wives are called to this role of helper, husbands are called to this role of headship. Okay, now this again, I know, just stick with me. We are talking about the ideal. What does this look like in a beautiful setting? What does this look like when husband and wives are functioning healthily? And what can this be in marriage? Okay, again, so much can go wrong that you maybe have never experienced this in marriage. And I understand that's going to trigger a lot, but just listen, we're talking about the ideal. So in the ideal situation, the husband is called to this role of head. Now, what does that mean? It primarily means that you are called to take, you have the primary responsibility for servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. That men, you're supposed to be life-giving to all those in your care. And husbands, you are responsible for the overall direction, vision, and leadership of your home. That's the role that you have. You are responsible for what are the priorities in your home. You're responsible for how your family chooses to spend their time. You are ultimately responsible for how the family chooses to use the finances. You are ultimately responsible for the ways that you choose to raise your children and interact with your family and where you spend your time. Men, you have been given that role. And the reality is with that role comes the reality that you will be the one who's going to be held to an account for how you manage that role. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, who did God come to? He came to Adam. Even though Eve sinned first, God came to Adam to get an account for what had gone on in Adam's home. So men, before we get excited about this idea of headship and we kind of let this think like this is a real privilege, this is a massive, serious responsibility. That God has tasked you with leading his daughter in the way that she lives in this world. And you're going to give an account for the way that you lead his daughter. So yes, this is a major responsibility, but it's important that we, we understand how serious this really is. Now, I, I want to go back. If you were here last week, you remember Rance put on the screen the, the two pictures of a boss. You have a boss and a leader. The boss was sitting back and he was kind of driving everyone else and he was just enjoying their benefit, whereas the leader was down on the ground helping to pull with everyone else. When we think of this idea of the husband's role of headship in the home, this is not the function of a boss. This is the function of a servant leader. And Jesus communicated that really clearly. He's talking to his disciples and the disciples are having this wonderful discussion arguing about who's greater. I think I'm greater than you. No, I'm greater than you. I'm certainly more important than you. I'm a bigger deal. They're having this discussion. How's Jesus going to answer? Who's actually the greatest? And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves." This is the picture that Jesus is giving us of what it means to be the head of your home. So he tells them here, this is what you've experienced. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and they're using their authority to be called what? The benefactors. So marriage has been distorted where a lot of men understand my role as head means I'm the benefactor. I get to sit here and use you all however I want, and I get to receive the benefit of you. Jesus says that is wrong. 
That is, the, that is the way the world functions and the world understands this, but that is not how I am describing this role at all. But not so among you. On the contrary, opposite of, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. So when we consider what does it mean that the man is the head of the home, it means he is the servant leader of the home. Men, that is your task. You are called to be the leader of your home through serving people in there. You are being called to yield to your desires to serve others. Do you see that? This is the attitude of yielding has to come right here. This comes natural to no man. <laughs> Men do not naturally say, I want, to, I want to give of myself to serve you. But men, we are being called to yield to our desires to make sure that the good of all those under our care is our highest priority. Now, remember, the word is their good, not what they always want, not what they're going to be happy with, but their good. So, men, we are called to lead them towards their good. Now, brothers, I need you to recognize what this verse says when we go back to Ephesians chapter 5. It doesn't say you can be the head of your home. It's possible for you to be the head of a home. It says you are the head of your home. This is your role. But guys, the question is, what kind of headship are we bringing to our home? Does the leadership that we bring to our home bring joy to those under our care? Or does it bring pain and destruction? Are we leading in such a way that is actually leading our family away from the priorities of God? Or are we leading them towards their good? Our leadership should be a blessing to those in our care. And yet because of brokenness, oftentimes the leadership of men has become something that is destructive and painful and damaging. So brothers, this is your role. But how are you handling that role? What type of a leader are you? And as we're going to see in Ephesians, the way that, that we understand what it means to lead is the way that Christ gave himself for the church. How does Christ lead his church? He does it gently. He does it intentionally, but he does it with care and love and grace. Sometimes we as men get this, this idea that to lead is, is to lead with toughness and, and force and strength and might. But Jesus led as a servant, and he led gently. So those are the roles. Okay? These are the two primary roles that we have in the home. And it's important, again, the same attitude expressed in two different ways based on our different roles. So now, as we go through the next part of Ephesians, what we're going to see is how do these roles express themselves in an ideal marriage? In a healthy marriage, how does the wife express being a helper? So verses 22 through 24 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as Christ is subject to, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So I want to remind you here, this idea of submission is not your role. Your role is much bigger than that. This is simply one of the ways that your role expresses itself. Okay? That may seem nitpicky, but that is very important. Now, sometimes we, we minimize the role of wives and the wives role in my house to submit. That is such a small part of what it means to be a helper. 
However, as she is called to be a helper and the wife is part of her role of helping is encouraging and supporting her husband to be all that he can be as the leader of the home. One of the ways she does that is this this idea, again, this attitude of yielding herself to his good, okay? So in a healthy home, this isn't a threat. This isn't a fear. This isn't something that's being forced upon the lady. This is something in a healthy home this woman would embrace. That's what we need to see. In a healthy, ideal marriage, this this is a wonderful thing. But so few of us have ever experienced that, ever seen it, even think that it's remotely possible that this idea is terrifying because we have seen men fail in their leadership. And as a result, women are left very vulnerable and in very hard situations. And they have, this idea right here has been used to abuse and manipulate and control them in ways that this was never intended to be. That's the distorted picture. But the ideal is this is a wonderful relationship that this gal would embrace. But we want to understand that her role is so much bigger because, you know, we could use this illustration. What does it mean to be a citizen of the United States? Well, I could say to be a citizen means I submit to the police and I pay my taxes. You'd think, really? That's it? That's not very appealing. Why would I ever choose to be a citizen if that's really all it means? I'd rather just kind of stay here on my own. A lot of ladies have the idea that marriage just means submission. And they have that same response. Really? Why would I ever want that? Why would I ever want to do that? Why would I ever want to trust somebody in that way? But that is not your role. That's an expression of your role. Being a helper is so much more than that. A helper uses her strength, as Proverbs says, to build the home with wisdom. Now, one of the ways it expresses itself in this role is through submitting herself to the role of the husband as the leader of the home. Husbands, how are we supposed to express our role of headship? Verses 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to the wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the husband see that she respects her husband." So the overall theme we see in these verses, how do men express the headship in their home, right? They do that through love. A man expresses his leadership by loving his wife. I want to kind of break this down for us. What is that supposed to look like? What is the foundational practical things, men, we can do this week to express our headship through love? The first thing we see, he does it sacrificially. So verse 25 said that Christ gave himself for her. How do we express love, men? We do that by giving ourselves for our wives. Wives, husbands, what is your greatest priority in a day? To get home so you can finally relax and kick your feet up? Or is the the thing that drives you saying, when I get home, I'm going to take a minute before I walk in that door because I need to reset myself because I'm going in here not to be served, but to serve. 
Guys, a lot of us need to just sit in the car for one minute before going inside and think about that. I'm going in here to serve. I'm going in here to sacrifice myself for the good of those in this home. Because very often we come home, I'm the king of this house and everybody better pay attention to me. But husbands love through sacrifice. We also see they love intentionally. Verse 26 and 27 talks about the way Jesus loved. He did that to present her as this beautiful person of all that she could be. So the, wife, the husband loves the wife with this goal in mind of saying, how do I develop and lead my wife to be all that she can be in Christ? How do I free her to be the woman that God has made her to be? Ladies, what would it be like if your husbands really had that as their driving motive in a day? How do I help my wife grow in the Lord today? You think your world would look different? Guys, how would that change your home if that was your thought? So we love intentionally with purpose and direction and focus. We see this other idea in verse 28 through 30. And it's kind of this odd expression about how husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. See, he's helping us to see this thing. We're supposed to love our wives equally or as ourselves. So it's interesting. He uses the expression, we're to love our wives as our own body, not our own heads. Okay? Because Christ has called us, just play, play out this picture here. Christ has called us to be the head, so we love the head. If I'm the head, I love the head. I'm going to take care of that head. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to put a helmet on it. I'm going to make sure it's got everything it needs. The rest of my body, eh. The picture here is that, that your wife is pictured as your body, as the body here. So in the same way I love and protect myself, I'm to love and protect her. It's not about what's best for me, but what is also equally good for her. So the decisions I make, it's not about what, makes, what, what is best for me. It's about what's best for all of us. It's not about what vehicle do I want to drive and she can have whatever. What is best for all of us? Do we make decisions thinking that way? How do I love my wife as myself? Or do we think I'm going to love myself and if there's some leftovers, she's free to have that. Oftentimes that's how we interact, but that's the broken picture. Another really important idea, verse 31, he goes back and quotes this verse that we've looked at. A man shall leave his father and mother and they shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Why does he throw that in here? Because we're supposed to love our wives exclusively. There's a uniqueness to this love that we are to have and express towards our wives that we are not to have and express towards other women. Whether that be a woman that we actually interact with or a woman that we look at online, there is an exclusivity to the way that we love our wives. Husbands, are you being a good head of your home by the things that you are choosing to do when no one is watching? In that moment, you think nobody sees the choices I'm making, yet in that moment, you are determining what kind of head you want to be for your family. So this is the ideal. I think we could all get on board and say, this would be fun. What if, what if a husband and wife really lived this way? That would be great. But the reality is we live in a world of brokenness. And so sin has destroyed our roles. And it's no surprise that if, if the home is such a foundation for where God's kingdom is built, where do you think Satan's going to attack? He wants to destroy the home. He wants to distort the picture. He's not just saying, oh, forget God's picture and do it this way. He says, instead, he, he takes God's picture and he twists it. And he makes this beautiful thing ugly to where we can't even think about looking at that. And we reject it. And all of a sudden, our homes go towards chaos. 
And so sin has destroyed our understanding of our roles. Now, this is kind of a generalization, but do you remember after Adam and Eve sinned? What, what is natural generally for women? Instead of serving in this role of helper and yielding towards the other roles in their life, they want to control. Oftentimes because they look out and they say, no one else is doing anything, I'm going to do something about it. Or he's not doing it well, I'm going to do something about it. And so that becomes kind of natural for a wife. What is natural, generally speaking, for a man? Instead of serving intentionally and passionately, we become passive. We don't want to lead. I'd rather come home and just sit down. I don't want to think about intentionally leading those in my care. And so think about how this beautiful picture just got distorted. The wife doesn't feel safe, and so she's rejecting yielding herself to her husband. The husband is not safe because he's being lazy and he's retreating and relaxing, not intentionally serving and loving his wife. This is broken every way we look at it. So I want to think just for a minute. Again, we want to focus on men today. What is it, how does sin lead to failed headship? What does that look like? I've just thought this week, and here's kind of five different ideas. One way that sin leads to failed headship is we become really irresponsible in our headship. We just become lazy, or maybe we become really unpredictable. That today I'm really leading my family, and this is great, and this is, this is who I want to be, but the next day I'm way over here, and I'm taking my family in a whole new direction. And I'm just dragging them along as I flow in the breeze myself. That's irresponsible headship. Men, we also can become very emotionally detached in our headship. <laughs> And that's important. Men, maybe sometimes we're not very, very emotional creatures. And so we can, be, we can stand back and be like, all right, I'm the head of this home. I'm going to serve you. And that's about as far as we get. How do we nourish and cherish those in our care? How do, we, how do we affectionately show those in our care that we love them? How do we live with our wives with understanding? That take, takes emotional connectivity. That takes intentionality. That takes building friendship with our wife and with our children. We can be serving in our role as a head and doing it in a very emotionally detached way, and it's distorting the picture. We also, probably the most common, is we can become dictators. We use the role to manipulate and control instead of to serve and to bless. We can become workaholics, and all of a sudden there's no time left to care for the home. Because if we're honest, it's a little bit easier to do it at work. And so maybe we just stay there a little bit more. Maybe we find reasons to stay busy because we don't want to come home and have to think about the intentionality of leading. And maybe we're just really spiritually apathetic. Maybe I'm leading, I'm providing, I'm trying to have relationships, but God is not really a center of my life. And I, yeah, I'm trying to prioritize our family, but it's really more centered around my desires and my wishes than about what does God want for our family? Men, sin has distorted our headship in all of these ways. And I see myself in every single one of these, and I hope that we take the time to think, where am I struggling in my leadership? Because we want our leadership to be a blessing to our wives and our children. So guys, as we think about the problems in our world, we have to understand that many of these problems stem from failed leadership in the home. We look out in the world, it's chaos. How many of those young men and women living in chaos were raised in homes where there was good, a good model of leadership? Now, it's not saying if you lead well that you're guaranteed to have kids that are going to follow the Lord. It's not saying that. 
But we do know a lot of the breakdown that we're experiencing in this world is because there's no leadership in the home. Men, we've got to change that. We want to lead that well. And we also understand that as a result of men failing, many women, again, have found themselves in vulnerable and dangerous positions. Many women are not being led by servant leaders, but instead they're being led by dictators who are using them and abusing them. So wives, this comes to you. We are, you are not called to be enablers, but helpers. Do you understand that distinction? You are not called to enable your husband to continue on sinful patterns. You are called to be his helper. Being his helper means I'm yielding to him for his good. Well, if I'm supposed to yield to him for his good, what does that mean? Because th this verse is kind of scary. In, in chapter 5, verse 24, it says wives are su supposed to submit to their husbands in everything. That, that would make us think every decision he makes, every way he wants to lead, everything he wants to do, I'm supposed to just be like, okay, fine. Is that really what that means? In Acts chapter 5, Peter was talking to the government leaders of a city. So think about roles. They are the government. Peter is a citizen. He's supposed to submit to those government leaders, right? Acts chapter 5, verse 29. These leaders say, Peter, you have to stop. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You see, there comes a moment where Peter's role, even though his role was citizen and he is called to submit to those in leadership over him, there came a moment when he said no. And that moment was when these leaders were asking him to do something that was directly contrary to what God's word said. So wives, you are not called to yield yourself to your husband when he's asking you to do something against God's word. That is not what yielding means because that is not for your good or for his good. You are not called to yield to anything that puts you or your children in danger, whether that be physical danger, emotional danger, or re even religious danger, because that would not be yielding to his good. You're a helper. Helping means in that moment, I don't just give in to whatever he wants. I am helping him for his good. I'm helping him to be the leader he can be. And if I'm allowing, if I'm supporting him, continuing in, in these sinful patterns, that is not helping, that's enabling. So we also, you are not called to yield to something that allows him to continue to live in a sinful pattern. That would not be helping. Now, what's very important when we get to this point is that this is not the decision that you should probably make on your own. This isn't something saying, well, I think this is pretty serious, so I'm not listening to my husband anymore. That's dangerous. Instead, we've been called to live within community and to have people in our lives who I can come to and trust and say, this is the reality of what's happening. I don't know what to do. I need perspective here. We want to be a church that will stand with you and fight for you for what is good. If that means we need to separate, that means we need to intervene, that is okay because we are fighting for what is good. We're not talking about either just, well, my husband made this really dumb decision one time, so I don't think I should ever trust him again with finances, ever. We're talking about these patterns, these long-term patterns of unrepentant sin, this hard-heartedness that is wrong. Wives, yielding to that is not helping. You are not called in that moment to yield to that. So when it says in verse 24, yield to your husbands and everything, we have to understand, again, he's talking about an ideal and he's talking about a healthy situation and he's, talking, he's not talking about every single specific thing in your life. Now, this is hard and this is why this requires wisdom. 
So we want to be a place that you can come to with those questions, that you can share the struggles that you're having, because we want to fight for you in this. So we see how the beautiful picture has been distorted. Sin has destroyed the beautiful scenery. The beautiful night sky is now consumed with death. How do we fix it? And so I want to give us just two simple keys. What are two simple keys to marriage? The first one, follow the model of Christ. Mark 14, Jesus said this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You see in this one verse, we see both of our expressions coming out. In this verse, we see Christ lovingly sacrificing himself for the good of his church. And we also see Christ yielding his own desire to the will of the Father. You know what we don't see in this verse? We don't see God the Father demanding Christ do it. We don't see Christ begrudgingly do it. We see him saying, I am going to yield for my people. I'm going to sacrifice for my people. I don't want to bear this cup of God's wrath, but I will do it for the love of my people. God, I don't want to do this right now, but if that's your will, I will do it. Christ is the model for both husbands and wives because he perfectly models this attitude of submission in all the different roles that he had. And so what is the key? How do we start to move out of brokenness and towards health? It's when we recognize I'm looking to Christ as my model. Husbands, you will never pull off being a godly head, headship of your home on your own. But when we look to Christ, he can make us that. Wives, you would never naturally be great helpers in your home. But God, as we look to Christ, can make you that. The second point, the, key, the second key to healthy marriage, live in community. Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You are not meant to carry these loads by yourself. We are not naive enough to say just because we come to church that all of our marriages are healthy. We understand that on average, one out of four women will be physically abused in her life. That doesn't stop when you walk into the church doors. There's a reason just as many Christian marriages end in divorce as pagan marriages. We're getting this wrong. How do we fix it? We have to live in community. When we say community, we don't just mean show up at church and everything will be fine. Walk in the doors, 1059, leave at 1201 and your marriage will fix itself. We are begging you to live in deep community with someone else. Have someone in your life that you can be honest with. Say, there is darkness is happening. There's things happening in my home that you wouldn't believe. And I wanted to speak for the elders to say, if, if there's things happening in your home that you want to share, we will listen to you. There are far too many stories of churches where men and women come and they share what's happening in their home and no one listens. We do not want this church to be that place. If you're going through pain in your life, please don't bear that alone. Please be willing to live in community because when you do that, God can redeem the most broken of things. God can bring help to that which seems helpless. And maybe your marriage has got to a point where it can't be healed. If that's the case, we want to walk with you in the long journey towards moving on and what is next. So may we be a church that models this well. 
May we be marriages that aren't perfect, but we are aiming at the ideal. We're not satisfied with the distorted picture. We are aiming at what Christ says a marriage should be. Because when we do that, we get to show off the character of Christ and we get to help this world understand how much God loves his church. Marriages matter. And may we be a church that is a safe place for marriages that are broken. That's going to cost us something. That's going to make us uncomfortable. But that's our prayer. We want to be that place for hurting marriages. Because as hurting marriages become whole, our community is going to benefit. And ultimately, God's going to be glorified. And that's what we're after. Let's pray. Father, we take this moment to just stop and we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We thank you, Father, that you know each individual story perfectly and completely. You know exactly what we need to hear from you in this moment. You know if we just need encouragement to say, you're doing great, keep it up. You know if we need urge to change some things in our life. And you know if we have been so deeply hurt that these ideas are terrifying to us. But Father, you will comfort and guide every single one of those situations. I pray, Father, that you would, you would do that in our lives, that you would help us to see what it is that you have for us individually from this passage. We thank you for the amazing opportunity to show off your love for your church through the way that we interact as husbands and wives. I pray for those whose marriages are struggling. I pray, God, that you would protect the strong marriages, and I pray, God, that you would bring healing even to the most damaged marriages. I pray for wisdom, Father, that we would know how to walk through these very difficult things. These are not black and white issues, God. They require great wisdom. So give us the wisdom to handle this in a way that's pleasing and honoring to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.